0: Good morning. We are continuing in our sermon series on Genesis, and we started off with uh, creation. We we saw the genesis of everything that a self-existent, all-good, all-powerful God creates the universe, and we got to see that in Genesis one and two. And uh, we saw that the grand finale of uh, God's creation was human beings, and they were created in His image. They were entrusted with the stewardship of the universe. They were given Uh, the the roles of procreating and uh, administrating. And uh, and by Genesis 3, we see uh, a rebellion, a decreation, where human beings uh, not only break the rules of God, they break relationship with God, and it leads to sin and the conditions of sin, which is death and um, a a dismantling of uh, God's good creation. And uh, we see up close and personal the results of this decreation in Genesis 4 in the story of Cain and Abel and we read this uh, comment from God to Cain if you do well you will not will you not be accepted and if you do not do well sin is crouching at the door its desire is contrary to you but you must rule over it and so we we see that in the in the fall of humanity, it's not just some bad behavior that needs to be corrected, but there's actually an inward sinful condition that is crouching at Cain's door and it ends up ruling over Cain. But it doesn't just stop with Cain. There's a proliferation of uh, that ruling and reigning of of sin. And uh, it proliferates uh, up until we get to the point in Genesis 6 where we read, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The wickedness of human beings, uh, which we said last week, is, is this functional atheism, this godlessness that leads to the proliferation of sinful behavior, but Uh, It comes from a condition uh, within this indwelling sin. And uh, what we see in Genesis 6 is that that proliferation of sin reaches a threshold that causes God to bring an immediate judgment. And that judgment is a, a flood, the catastrophic flood. And it results in not only the judgment of sinners, uh, but also a fresh start with a new Adam and Eve, except this time it's Noah and Mrs. Noah and their three sons and wives. But the core corruption um, of human beings uh, is smuggled onto the ark, literally dwelling in the human beings of Noah and Mrs. Noah and their sons and uh, their sons' wives. And so by the time we, we get to Genesis 11, we see yet another proliferation of sin, except this is a more like a proliferation 2.0. This time, it's not the mere sinfulness of individuals, but a sin fueled collaboration. And God reaches yet another threshold and delivers another judgment against humanity. And so what we'll see in this story is humans innovating, humans collaborating. And then God collaborating and God uh, frustrating. So humans innovating, humans collaborating, God collaborating, and God frustrating. So first, humans innovate. Uh, Genesis 11, we read this, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So humans are doing human things. Uh, They can do these things because they're created in the image of God. I mean, one aspect of image-bearing is the use of language. Humans can make sounds with their mouths, uh, but more than just dogs and chimps and dolphins because they can do that. They can take these sounds and they can systematize these sounds and they can use them consistently in such a way that they can communicate ideas to other human beings. And so I can say the words dogs and chimps and dolphins, and it means something, at least to the English speakers in the room. Um, now, just because you can come up with consistent sounds and use them systematically uh, does not a language make, but you must convince other human beings that they should adopt those sounds over other sounds and always say dog, chimp, and dolphin when they mean those particular animals and this again is unique to human beings and it has been given to human beings because they are god's image bearer god is a god who speaks and so we who are created in his image are created with the capacity for human language and that human language gives us the the ability to collaborate and so we see humans collaborating Uh, in this passage, and two heads really are better than one, and so through the use of language we can come up with better solutions to problems and new inventions that are actually useful for the thriving of human beings. Uh, Humans are constantly uh, innovating. Uh, The U.S. Patent Office in 2022 received 650,000 patent applications, and those are just the people that bother to fill out the paperwork that's required to File a patent, and these good, innovative ideas uh, were certainly the result, at least some of them, uh, the result of collaboration. There's so many stories of good ideas that came through collaboration throughout human history. Even stories we thought were about lone geniuses were actually behind the scenes collaboration. So Albert Einstein, for instance. Uh, you think of him as this, this lone genius sitting alone in, in you know, the library and thinking up these uh, amazing thoughts. But what we find out is that, is that he collaborated with two uh, fellow students uh, from ETH in, in Zurich. Um, Grossman and Besso were like his close confidants, and uh, the discussions among these three helped Einstein, uh, Einstein derive the special theory of relativity. It's told that Einstein once told Grossman, You must help me or else I'll go crazy. And uh, Grossman, who is a very gifted mathematician, uh, created uh, the calculations that helped Einstein greatly. And both of them actually published a joint paper in 1913 known as the Outline of a Generalized Theory of Relativity and of a Theory of Gravitation. So that was the, the precursor to. Uh, the eventual theory of general relativity. Innovating humans uh, with the use of language are also able to collaborate, and, and consequently can come up with some amazing technologies. Um, and so we see that happening here. I mean, the the Babel builders are saying, uh, "Let's let us," right? They're collaborating, and then what they're doing together, one is they're 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 making bricks. Like they figured out that they can take mud and they can put it together in a little square and then they can heat it thoroughly and it will harden like a stone except it's not as heavy as a stone and so it can be stacked up on itself. But not only that, they figured out how to make mortar and so they've got this... Uh, this substance called bitumen that helps harden the mortar. So not only does the mortar stick the bricks together, but the the mortar is hard, and that enables the bricks to be stacked one on top of another. And this new technology is uh, something that is, is is amazing, right? And so everything seems to be going great. I mean, humans are procreating. Uh, And they're administrating, just like God told Adam and Eve to do and then republish that commission to Noah and Mrs. Noah and their family. Uh, But all good things seem to come to an end in the book of Genesis. And so the collaboration continues in Genesis 11.4. Then they said, come, let us, there's that phrase again, build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens And let us, there's a phrase again, make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so there's a couple more let us's, right? They're collaborating. I mean, they're collaborating to build a city. Okay, cool. Cities are cool. Uh, They're collaborating to build a tower. Okay, okay. I mean, I like towers, uh, especially when they're lit up burnt burnt orange like uh, our tower was just uh, uh, last night. But there's more going on here than uh, some beautiful functional technology that uh, is helping humans to, to thrive. They're they're not using these bricks to build homes to protect, or schools to educate, or theaters to entertain. Instead, they're going to build a tower right up to the heavens, and they're going to make a name for themselves. This is a, a manifestation, not. Only of individual wickedness or godlessness, but a societal or systemic wickedness. There's a lot of talk over the last 10 years about things in society being systemic. There's systemic racism, systemic sexism, systemic oppressions of all kinds. And the Bible has been revealing this idea of uh, that sin is not only individual, but that it's systemic uh, for a long time, right? Human beings are sinners. When sinful human beings collaborate, they form sinful societies. They, they These are uh, forms of systemic uh, oppressions, uh, certainly, uh, but also lots of other systemic kinds of manifestations of sin. So systemic sexualization of human beings we see in our own present culture. A systemic consumerization of human beings uh, we see, especially in American culture, a systemic secularization of human beings. Uh, There are many systems of of sin patterns. And uh, in the New Testament, this kind of systemic sinfulness is called, quote, the world. Uh, So for instance, James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world it's not talking about the created world it's talking about a, a sinful system that has set itself up over and against God James is saying don't be stained don't be influenced by the world James refers to this again in James chapter 4 verse 4 you adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can see James warning, hey, don't uh, be stained by the world. Don't be in friendship or fellowship with this sinful system that is over and against God. And then the, the scripture that is probably most quoted when talking about this idea of, of the world is First John 2, uh, verse 16, 17. says, for all that is in, quote, the world... Uh, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So you see there, again, this societal or systemic manifestation of sin, an unholy collaboration of sorts that is not good for humans, nor is it glorious for For God, and God cares about this. And like the time of the flood, human beings cross some sort of threshold that requires God to act, and act He does. In verse five, it says, "The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built." So God comes down. Um, There's something comical about the. description of what God is doing here. What does it mean that God is coming down? Well, he obviously doesn't need to come down in order to know what's going on on the ground. He already knows exactly what's going on. Uh, He also doesn't need to come down in order to deliver a judgment against these human beings. He's coming down. uh, as It it, it is a contrast to what humans think they're doing in their attempt to go up. Right. So we look at verse 4. Juxtaposed with verse 5, and uh, again, I think it's somewhat comical, right? In verse 4, then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And then in verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. The human beings are attempting to make themselves high enough to dwell, quote, in the heavens, which is the dwelling place of God. And their little tower to the heavens is so puny that God has to come down to see it. Uh, he even says it's being built by children, right? The children of Adam, the, the, the children of uh, the human. I don't know. I, when I was a kid, I, I tried to dig down to China. Um, in case you're wondering, uh, it didn't work. So there's something similar going on. It's a little bit like a child trying to dig down to China or, or build a tower up uh, to heaven, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean these human beings are no threat to God, but they are a threat to themselves and to the earth. and 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 God uh, acts. and this time it's not a, a catastrophic flood. Uh, he is remembering the promise he made never to do that again. This time he does something different. Uh, Genesis Genesis 11 verse six, and the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So here we see God both collaborating and frustrating. Um, there's collaboration, right? He used the same language. God says, let us. And as Christians, we understand this to be the triune God. One God, but three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and that there is a collaboration that's occurring inside the Godhead. And this collaboration is one of frustration. They're seeking to frustrate the human project. And the way that uh, God frustrates the human project is by confusing human language. And so without communication, uh, they can no longer collaborate. They can't say, hey, get me some more bitumen or bring over that another load of bricks. It all sounds like a bunch of gibberish. Perhaps you've traveled to another country where you didn't know the language at all. Uh, it uh, dim- severely dis- diminished your ability to collaborate, right? You had a hard enough time just ordering food or, or using the public transportation. Uh, and in this situation, no one understands anyone. And so the mighty Babel builders uh, are no longer able to communicate, and therefore they can no longer Collaborate, So God doesn't really have to do much else. There's no need for a flood or fire or high winds, only the frustrating through the confusion of language, and they disperse. This is the very thing they didn't want to happen. They didn't want to be dispersed, and it is exactly what happens. We see in that just the futility of human beings trying to accomplish this thing over and against God. So humans have been uh, collaborating for the purpose of making themselves God for a long time. And all that collaboration has failed and uh, made things worse. I mean, I think our latest attempt at playing God is AI, right? I I don't know if you've seen this. Jeffrey Hinton, who's sometimes called the godfather of artificial intelligence, had a, uh, a breakthrough in AI in 2012. He was actually collaborating with two grad students. See a theme there. But these, uh, this breakthrough opened the door for things like ChatGPT. Well, this past summer, he resigned his position uh, as vice president and fellow at Google. And in media interviews since leaving Google, he said he felt compelled to, quote, blow the whistle on the technology he, he pioneered, fearing that it's going to uh, become uh, too powerful and that AI pro- uh, poses a profound risk to society and humanity. Now, his solution is a, a global agreement similar to the 1997 Chemical Weapons Convention to establish international rules against weaponized AI. Of course, the international rules against chemical warfare has not stopped chemical warfare, and I'm not sure why he thinks international rules against weaponized AI is going to do uh, any different. It's, it's ironic, isn't it, that he's saying that the, that the solution to human technology that's causing us problems is more human collaboration to save ourselves from ourselves. I mean, think of all the technologies that we've created that are now destroying us, right? Anxiety-producing smartphones, obesity-producing corn syrup, (laughs) cancer-causing plastics, asthma-causing pollution, water-contaminating forever chemicals, I mean, nuclear bombs, opioids, the vape pen. I mean, need I say more? We don't have to look far to see human beings taking technology and using it to exploit other human beings, destroy the planet, and serve themselves by filling up their big, fat bank account. And the root of all of that is wickedness, a godlessness, a god-free way of thinking and living in the world. It is so far from the very good creation of Genesis 1 and 2. This Tower of Babel, or Babylon, which is the Greek version, becomes a kind of archetype in the Scripture for the world system that has set itself over and against God. And it's going down. I, I want to say this again. That system is going down. We read this, uh, the destination of the world system, uh, in Revelation 18. And this is the... The story in apocalyptic literature that tells us what's going to be the end game for Babel, for Babylon, the world system. We read this After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine and the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. It's kind of two symbols smushed together to talk about the world's system, that of a city that is desolate and also a prostitute. And so the, the, the power brokers of the world have used this system, used this city like a prostitute for a, a drunken orgy, metaphorically uh, speaking. And by the end of the chapter, we read about Babel's end, right? Verse 21 of Revelation 18, Then a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of the harpists and the musicians of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you No more, and the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more, for your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. All that human hubris that had set itself up against God is judged in one moment. The system of sin is gone, like a a millstone that's thrown into the water. You see it kind of kerplunk into the water, and then it's gone. And you're like, where did it go? It's no more. It's been completely eradicated. And you might think, well, why does God allow this this evil system to stick around? Why not deal with it immediately instead of letting it proliferate throughout the earth? Well, the reason is because God is saving human beings out of the world and into his kingdom. We read to, in Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul talking to the Gentiles, the non-Jews who were, had been far from God. They did not have the scriptures and uh, they, they were, had rampant sexual immorality and, and were just they seemed to be a person with people with no hope uh, for being reconciled with God. And he writes uh, to them to, to, to encourage them to remember where they've come from. In Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, and from others, we see in the gospel, the Ephesians being brought near to God. They're being saved out of the world and into the kingdom of God. It is a new holy collaboration that's happening in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, God has come down. He has come down, except uh, this time it's an extension of mercy through Jesus Christ uh, instead of judgment. Because he has taken that judgment on himself at the cross. This is the great reversal of the dispersal of human beings. So here's a few thoughts on how this applies to us. And I think there are many ways. There's many things that we could say that I think are applicable here. But but here's a few. So one is uh, the call to receive a rescue from the world. Right, We read this in 1 John 2, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. These pipsqueak babble builders who think they are such a big deal are all going to be revealed as the shams that they truly are. All the movie stars and the pop culture icons and the tech moguls and the academic geniuses um, if they do what they do in a godless way, they are on a sinking ship. And it is only a matter of time before they are like a great millstone thrown into the sea. When Paul is uh, preaching a, a sermon to the Athenians in the area of Pagus who really saw themselves as the greatest minds you know, in the Western world, He says this to them, Acts 17, verse 30, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You can see Paul calling those great minds to repentance and faith in christ who has risen uh, from the dead and god frustrates human endeavors in order to awaken them for their need uh, for christ and that's uh, a small-scale frustration in our own personal lives that is oftentimes what is used to awaken us to our need i mean how many times have, have we turned to God in, in a greater faith and in, in a greater prayer life and a greater dependency on scripture when we're frustrated with the the, the state of our lives? But there's also large scale frustration. We look around in the US or look around in the in the entire world, we can sense this like frustration. Like, why can't we fix these problems? Why can't we have peace in the Middle East? Why can't we, you know, calm down Ukraine and Russia or whatever the case may be? And and, and it, these are opportunities. Uh, for us to be awakened to our need uh, for the God who created all things and has saved us in Christ. God has collaborated, not just to frustrate us, but to rescue us from the world. I love this little intro in Ephesians 1 where uh, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, he re, he mentions all three of the persons of the triune God. The blessed be the God and Father uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so God has has sent the Son to save us, and the Son has saved us by dying on the cross for our sins, and now we, we're given those spiritual blessings, right? We're we the, the the blessings of that gospel are now given to us through the work of the Spirit. They are spiritual. Blessings. And so the call to us is to receive the rescue. If you've not yet received that rescue by faith that Christ has provided for you at the cross, I want to encourage you to do that today, to reach out in faith and receive the rescue. Now, to those of us that are Christians, uh, a couple of thoughts as to how we can apply this passage. Uh, one is to reject and replace worldly thinking, reject and replace. Worldly thinking. So, Romans 12, 2, some of you are familiar with this passage. Do not be conformed to this world. Obviously, not talking about the created world, talking about the system of sin that's set up against God. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and Perfect. Part of the life or an important part of the life of a disciple of Jesus is constantly attending to one's thinking. It's similar to living in a place where the air is contaminated. You have to breathe the air or you will die. But if the air is toxic, what do you do? Well, you filter it. You filter it. This is what we were doing during the peak of COVID. We were wearing masks, right? Why were we doing that? Well, we, we knew that COVID was in the air. And we didn't want to breathe in COVID, but we needed to breathe air. So we put a mask on and we filtered out uh, the COVID in order to breathe the pure air. And so there's something similar going on here. As a Christian who is swimming in and breathing uh, the system, the, the world's system, we have to recognize, filter out the things that are coming at us that are from the world, and we need to replace those with God's Truth And this has to be done non-stop. We're in a constant onslaught of the ideas of the world. So, for instance, the world says, I deserve a better life than the one I have now. And God says, uh, while you do have dignity and worth um, as a human being, uh, as a sinner, you deserve hell. And you've been given the grace of salvation through Jesus Christ. Uh, No one deserves a better life. Uh, the world says I can buy a better life with the purchase of new products and experiences, and God says the good life is an ever-growing relationship with Christ, uh, and and that is the good life. And then the world says humans are objects for sexual pleasure, and God says humans are His image bearers and have inherent worth, such that they should never be exploited for the selfish use by another. The world says that true freedom is throwing off all authority and doing what I want, when I want. God says true freedom comes from when we submit to the good authority of God, which includes submitting to the earthly authorities He's placed in our lives. The world says my life matters when I make a name for myself. God says that there's no name greater than His own, and that ultimate glory should be ascribed to Him and Him. Alone. That's just a little sample, right? We, we need to constantly be rejecting worldly thinking and replacing it with God's truth. And then uh, another thing I think that that Christians uh, can draw from this passage is a call to participate in the holy collaboration, right? The Christ-centered uh, collaboration. Um, once the the world in uh, Revelation eighteen. Uh, is uh, judged, and we see this when the the, the stone is thrown in the water and it's gone, this is what happens in heaven in the very next chapter in Revelation 19. Um, John writes this, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. And so it's like a crowd. He hears this roar of a crowd whenever uh, the, the world, the babel, has been judged once and for all. And this is what the crowd is saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. It just means praise Yahweh. And it says, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. They're, they're praising God for his righteous judgment of the world, of Babel, of of the great prostitute. Once more they cry out, Alleluia! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. This is a final judgment. There's no more uh, resurrecting of the world's system. And then we see in verse 4 of Revelation 19, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God. Those are representative of people of God Old Testament and new and all of creation worshiping God who is seated on the throne saying amen hallelujah and from the throne came a voice saying praise our God all you his servants you who fear him small and great and then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunders crying out hallelujah for the Lord our God the Almighty Reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words. Now remember, in 1 John 2, John says the world is passing away. And in Revelation 19, he gets to see uh, a vision of the world passing away. And he gets to see the relief and the rejoicing of the church who has been laboring under the weight of the world's system of Babel. Uh, And what's left is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so this marriage supper, this bride uh, of the lamb is the church. And the, it, this, this fellowship between the lamb uh, and his bride uh, is a meal. And so they're getting to share a meal um, with each other as they are rejoicing over the fact that God has saved them out of Babel. They've saved them out of uh, of the world and save them to the kingdom of God and uh, this relationship that they have with Jesus. Uh, they're they're not uh, exploiting the prostitute of the world. They are not uh, uh, some sort of a, a corrupt bunch of humans, uh, but they are a bride in white linen that uh, Christ has purchased and has made them white um, through their forgiveness. And he's doing that in the now and we will do that in the not yet, right? He is currently saving people out of the world. And our, the church is, is, is tasked with a mission to offer this good news to those who are in the world and for them to come and be a part of the great reversal of the dispersal, right? We're welcoming them into the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're reminded of this every time we come to the communion table. This is a a bit of a a rehearsal dinner uh, to the ultimate marriage supper of the land where we're reminded of uh, the fact that we've been saved out of the world and saved to uh, the kingdom uh, of God.